what is wrong with everything? Where are we headed? When you try to make sense of what's happening. Have you been in such a conversation? If you haven't been talking to someone, maybe you watched it in the news, maybe you browsed it on Twitter, right? Um, and if you've uh, just been very okay, maybe you're one of the most optimistic people ever in the world. Um, what a moment to be alive, especially when we are at a time when we are wondering what is gonna happen next. It's, our, it's, it's quite a moment, it's quite a moment. But then as everything else is happening, um, it's good to remember that not all is wrong. Not all is wrong, especially when you look at yourself, when you look at the people you love. You can, you can look at your life and, and you can sense, sense deep within, you know, there's also good at work. Not all has gone wrong. And also, this past week, um, there's this wonderful moment that um, happened, and I wanted us to watch that clip again. Remember this? Yeah? Let's keep it going. Let's watch uh, one more time. As she smashes the second record in, a, in eight days. Well, away you go. Jedi is maybe winding up to make her move, but Tipiagon, you know, likes to hook the inside lane. She does not give up her position lightly, as we've seen over the 1500 meters, time and time again. Now there's an injection of pace again, round the crown of the bend for the last time. The crowd roar, everybody standing up around us. Faith Tipiagon yet again finds another gear. Florence last weekend over 1500 meters, here in Paris over 5000. What a talent, what a performance, it's a world record! Oh my goodness, she's done it again! Unbelievable! Superhuman, Faith Kibyegon. You cannot be serious. Words fail you. I don't know whether I was more moved by her run or her reaction, right, to the run. It was it was amazing, yeah? And it's one thing to smash the world record, it's one thing to smash another world record in eight days. It's one thing to smash a world record in 5,000 meters when you have not done the race in eight years, right? She's 1,500. Uh, so basically, it comes at an opportune time when things in Kenya are tight, yeah? But then, God remembers us, uh, has Faith Keeping gonna do something amazing. And do you know what he tells us? He tells us that Kenya is possible tells us that you and I are possible. And so um, I just feel lately uh, to reflect together with you as a church, what posture do we bring in seasons like this? What is God calling us to? Um, you, I have had the quote often say that life is lived forward, but only understood backwards. When you look backward is when you see the meaning. When you're living forward, I think you just keep going, keep going. And we find ourselves in such a time. This week, I was trying so hard to find meaning in all this. I was trying. I'll keep trying, right? But I believe maybe one day we'll look back and we'll see. But is there something else to do? Maybe a posture that we can have as we go through this. 
Another thing I did with today's sermon is that I really grappled with the title. Yeah? So I called it 400 years. 400 years. Um, this week on Wednesday, I turned 40 years old. In fact, I thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for celebrating me. Uh, last Saturday, some people uh, surprised me with an amazing lunch and party. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. Yeah. So I'm, I've been in this season, 40. 40 is the only thing I can think about. It's the only number I see when I close my eyes. And so it turned out that I even started writing this sermon and called it 40. But then I was like, no, 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 let me, let it be something bigger. You know, I can look through scripture and see the significance of 40. But today we're in such a moment uh, that we're going to learn, you know, we have a lot to be reminded about by the 400 years of some people who went through a difficult experience. So let's read from Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, the very last verses, 23, and then continue to chapter 3 up to verse 9. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, up to verse chapter 3, verse 9. We've been looking to train successors. <laughs> and some people keep stepping forward. <laughs> Hi, it's all right. He, if he does, it's not disruptive, he will come. All right, thanks. Okay. All right. Sawa, sawa. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to chapter 3, verse 9. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and took notice of them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. Thank you. Why this bush is not burned up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Say hi and then go to daddy. <laughs> oh, gentle. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> We'll have the next class sometime, right? Um, okay. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not manned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Father, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, 
I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. And that's the word of the Lord for us this uh, afternoon. When you listen at the tone and the sound of that passage, you can clearly see um, it is what that can be called literature of the oppressed. This, these are people who've been oppressed, and this is a response of a God. I find that text to be so relevant to us today because we can't ignore the fact that all is not well. There is great stain, strain, great pressure, great uncertainty, great disruption for so many people. And you know, such moments lead, might lead, are already leading to anxiety and despair among many people, which is so sad, yeah? We can come to the conclusion that you are finally, finally reckoning with a, with a bite of what decades of corruption and, is, and mismanagement have led to. We are here because people before, you know, have not done well, have been corrupt. And so we are reaping that. Uh, there is such a low trust level, I think this is one thing we can agree on the government, that, uh, you know, we are not vouching on anything unless they surprise us. So what a situation to be, yeah? And, and the sad thing is that when moments like this happen eventually, you just find that there is such a loss of meaning and purpose on so many people. To describe that reality as it is, is to describe something oppressive, yeah? And that's why today's text uh, it's so relevant because we're sort of going through a moment of oppression. Yeah? Anything that is oppressive is an expression of, 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 of Pharaoh's overload on people expressed in a different way. So we are sort of feeling the weight of all that is oppressive on us as a people. And what hurts most is not that uh, things around the world are changing. What hurts most is when, um, when people respond in uncaring ways. The response of other people is what hurts the most. It's what, it's what breaks people the most. So that is the situation you are facing. And just like in the opening lines of our passage, people have suffered for so long around here from systems that show little care and concern for one another beyond satisfying their own greed. Their own greed. Pharaoh continues to exercise his overload on people. And having said that, I may rest it there. Today I don't want to continue the rant on how bad things are. Yeah, it's all over social media. You can, you can check it out. Neither do I want to feed you cheap optimism by just reassuring you that eventually all shall be well. I am not sure, yeah? But I want us to think about what would it look like for us to respond with a sense of robust hope? Not cheap hope, but just a sense of robust 
hope. And that is what, what I want us to think about over the next few minutes. The first quality of robust hope is that uh, looking at that passage that we've just read, no matter how long it seems, no matter how huge the problem is, God is aware of the situation. God is aware of the oppressive suffering. And God is committed to a plan that involves rescue, redemption, restoration, and healing. That is how our passage today can be summed up. Listen to how it opens. Out of the slavery, their cry of help rose up to God. God had their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Think about that. God hears. God remembers. God looks upon the people, and God takes note. This is so good because it tells us that God is not far removed from what is happening. Yeah? God is attentive, very attentive. And it's almost, it, it is so emphasized, almost like it's repeated to the point that you can see, not only does he notice, he also like kind of steps into it, kind of shares in the weight of it, kind of shares in the suffering of it, and understands fully well what this is. If you ever wonder what hope looks like, Hope is not only the promise that things will be better in the end, but hope is the promise that God is present even when things are bad. And not in a very passive way, but a way that reveals that he understands and he's present. Um, and also in addition to that, he acts. He acts to save, to heal, and to restore. Chapter 3, verse 7 to 9 um, reads this way. Then the Lord said, I have observed, right? I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, indeed, I know, I know their sufferings. I have come down and I have come down to deliver them. Yeah, I am acting. I am now on the move. I have come to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Yeah? The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. And beyond just seeing and knowing and hearing, I have come down to change and to act on that situation. That sounds like hope to me. God is always aware of any injustice and oppression that is meted upon humanity. And if, and we can say, and if that is how God was then to the Israelites, I believe and I hope and I truly trust that that is how God is to us now. So does this moment feel oppressive and heavy and uncertain? Does this moment feel quite unjust, quite unbelievable, right? Whatever it may feel, imagine God knows exactly that. Imagine God is right here in the, 
in this present moment with us as a people. Yeah, being swayed this way and that way, unsure of what happens tomorrow, God is present. Yeah? And so no matter what happens, that is a good place to ground our hope. That is a good place to step into tomorrow. I don't know what will happen. I don't know how these things will turn out, but I know God is present. Another good thing that is mentioned in this passage is that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back in Genesis 12, um, when God called Abraham, he told him, leave the land you are now a part of. Leave all you've ever known and go into the unknown. Journey with me. Go into a land I will show you. And beyond just migrating, I'm going to make your father of a great nation. I'm going to bless your people immensely. And beyond just blessing your people, all families of the world will be blessed through you. That is the covenant that God had with Abraham. And then here we are told way later in Exodus, four centuries later, God remembers his covenant. Yeah? God remembers that he had set out to shape a people who are truly blessed, a people who are thriving, a people who are flourishing, a people from whom all nations and families of the world shall feel blessed. But as he looks at this situation in Egypt, the slavery, it looks nothing like what he had imagined at the beginning. And God says, guess what? I'm remembering my covenant. I'm getting you out of that land. I'm taking you to a new land flowing with milk and honey, um, broad land where you can be free and live and step back into the promise I always had for you and step back into the agenda I've always had for you. Why is this significant? It is significant because of this. That was never meant just for the Israelites of old. That is a true reflection of you and I today. When God sets out with humanity, he has only one agenda, to bless them, to see humanity and all creation flourish and thrive. And even as he makes this covenant with Abraham, he is emphasizing what he's always been about. You can go way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You can even begin to say that God's agenda with humanity from the very beginning, it's blessedness. But then it so turns out, out of human brokenness, we end up in spaces and moments where human flourishing is diminished. And that is why anything that diminishes human flourishing, human possibilities, yeah, is an affront, is offensive to God. But then the good news is God is always on the move to restore and to bring back. So this promise is not just for the Israelites of old, it's, it's for you and I here, Jani ICC, you and your family, you as an individual. It's for us as a nation of Kenya. Despite um, any way the nations came about, God imagines a people who are so blessed, who, through whom his plans and purposes are accomplished. And when God looks at Kenya today, I'm sure he remembers that. But beyond it being for a collective people, it's also for you as an individual. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, God has one agenda for you. He has good plans for you and plans to give you a future 
and a hope. What does that mean? To see you flourish, to see you live out all that he imagined you to be. So, but we live in a world where that is not always the reality. So much of human history is about all the ways people are diminished from reaching their fullest potential. Yeah? In our case, corruption. Corruption. We all know it is such an oppressive force. It has been going on for so long. It limits people. It keeps them from being all that God imagined, imagined them to be. But today, my dear friends, I want you to begin to see it this way. Whatever the situation might be, God hears you. He hears your cry. He remembers his agenda of blessedness and flourishing for you. And God looks on you and takes notice. When I think about the plight of many Kenyans, I am encouraged to know that God hears us. Yeah? We may not know the full picture. We may not know why things are the way they are. We may not know how everything is going to affect us. But I'm encouraged to know that God hears us. God sees, God notices, and God remembers his agenda of blessedness for us as a nation. And beyond that, God is on the move. God is acting silently and quietly to redeem, to free, and to restore. One of the things that might, that, that, that might be contained in that is that um, it, it may not seem for you and I like this is happening. Yeah. In fact, it seems like things are getting worse, by the way, right? Are you sure God is up to something? Are you sure God is present and acting? But the thing is, yeah, if it was true about God then, it is true about God now. This is what he's about, quietly, even though we do not see. So in our passage today, we catch up with the story of the Israelites. 400 years of being enslaved, right? 400 years of being enslaved. Sometimes we may pass, rush through that fact quickly, but it is something that may raise questions upon us. First of all, it is a very, very long time. Yeah? Imagine us discussing a situation that, that may be happening in our lives from the year 1600 up to now. That is a long, long history, right? Yeah. Many generations have lived in that. So here's the question I was grappling with. If we've been saying that God's nature is true, that he hears, he understands, and he acts, why did he wait that long? Why did it take him 400 years? Sometimes I've even asked myself, did it take 400 years for the cry to reach him? Is that the first time he heard the cry of, of the Israelites? And, and, and I wonder to myself, why did God not act as he's acting in that passage that we've read? Just a few months into the oppression of the Israelites, right? Why didn't he just rescue them after a decade or a few decades? Or maybe 100 years. Yeah, but... 400 years. If God was aware all this time, why let that much time pass? You know, for you and I, when we look at this story, yeah, it's easy to connect the pieces. We know how the story ends. We are looking backwards. The meaning is right there. But if you are living in that 
reality, yeah, it would have been so hard for you. Yeah? I want you to imagine with me, if you were born an Israelite slave on the 300th year of slavery, yeah? or you would be born, you would be brought up, you would live under one reality, that you are a slave. All the stories you'd hear about your parents, your grandparents, and maybe even your great-grandparents, was that they were slaves. <laughs> they came as free people, but then something happened, and they were slaves. And there you are, born into the 300th year of slavery. You, you grow up, and you live as a slave, and you die. Yeah. Now, picture yourself at that moment, yeah, being told that God has a plan. Yeah? God has a plan for your life. It would be very hard to come to terms with what hope might look like at that time. It is hard. It is hard. And so I've been wondering, what is the explanation for all this? What is the explanation of all this? How do you explain 400 years of slavery? I have a very simple answer. I don't know what the explanation is. Right? It's even worse. It's even worse, people. When you read in Genesis chapter 15, that God predicted the 400 years of enslavement. Yeah? In fact, in John 15, verse 12 to 16, this is what it says. Genesis 15, 12 to 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, Abraham, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. The Lord said to Abraham, I know this for certain that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs and shall be slaves there and they shall be oppressed for 400 years but i will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as for yourself you shall go to your ancestors in peace you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. If, if I was there on the 300th year of slavery, I would have taken offense. God, really, why should I be the recipient of this much slavery? Why should I be that? So I want to give you an explanation of all this but I've been wrestling and grappling with it. And I want to invite you a little bit into that space, yeah, of, of, of asking, why would it happen this way? And then maybe, maybe we can find nourishment for our moment now, and maybe later on in future, you know, a generation will come up that will be more insightful than we are, and it will know why it happened in that. So here are a few things I was reflecting on about God. First of all, God the all-knowing. God the all-knowing. In that passage in Genesis, he says, I know for certain. So God the all-knowing seems to understand that the actions we bring forth lead us in a certain direction. If the actions that's, that's, that stem from our hearts, if our hearts are broken and sinful and evil, God will know that if you continue in that kind of way, it's going to lead there. It's going to lead your downfall. And God, the all-knowing time and again in scripture is quoted telling people, if you don't change your ways, you will end up in exile. You know, certain things are gonna happen. 
So God seems to to do that and to tell people uh, the consequences of your actions will be like this. The second thing, the first one is God the all-knowing. The second one is God the all-powerful. God the all-powerful seems not to interfere with human affairs. However good or ill-contrived they are, he doesn't want to interfere. He will engage. He will engage and tell people, if you continue like this, destruction is waiting for you. If you change your hearts and return to me, you shall be saved. So he understands where the actions will lead, but he invites, he expects a dialogue. He wants to pull people together. So here's a good example. Yeah, it, takes, it takes a people who have so much evil and hatred in their hearts to do acts of evil and hatred on one another. If you look at history, so much of that has happened. Yeah, For the Egyptians to oppress other people, they just had so much fear and evil and hatred out of the, out of the state conditions of our hearts. Yeah, We act. So it takes that. And, and maybe God, so long ago, discerned the situation of the Egyptians, discerned their hearts. God looked at the trajectory of their actions, and he knew that when these people, you know, continue in that kind of way, they're going to create systems that are so powerful and oppressive that they shall enslave whoever they may enslave. And even Abraham's descendants, fortunately or unfortunately, are going to suffer under that oppression for many years for many years and it may be that you may be seated here and you may be trying to grapple with that idea why god would that work out like that yeah why would we face situations like we do but maybe beyond the why we are always faced by a much more important questions who should we be in our current realities of life because here's the other story in scripture that is confirmed again and again. However, evil and oppression, whatever they may be, they are not the only story and they never have the final word. In fact, when you take all of scripture, you can also come to the conclusion that all of scripture is the story of a God who steps in moments of so much brokenness to bring healing and wholeness and redemption. Yeah, there's a new story always at work. God is characteristically again and again working within the brokenness to bring about a story of freedom and wholeness and to heal and to liberate and to restore. Where can hope be found if not in who God is, if not in what God does? Though we may not understand the full picture, we can trust that God is who he claims to be. So, the current circumstances that we are facing are full of uncertainty. Uh, you may not understand the full picture. Uh, you may not know how, what will happen next. Neither can you even understand fully how it's all going to affect you in the coming months and years. But for the life of us, dear friends, let us be found trusting and partnering with God. Let us be found trusting and partnering with God. All that we see and hear 
is not the full story. The bigger story is that time and again, God has never left the scene. God shows up in the scene and is quietly working, listening, understanding, connecting with, and bringing, bringing a sense of hope and healing to people. I don't know why it took 400 years, but also it can be an amazing thing to consider that after 400 years, slavery was not the full story and slavery was not the final story. Freedom still came, right? So I don't know where we may be in the timeline of our own story in Kenya and all the waves of things that keep coming, coming at us. You may not understand that full timeline. We may not know whether we're in the middle or the 300th year or the 400th moment, year moment, right? But we can be found trusting. Hope begins by understanding the position and intention of God always. And like we have seen, it is to bring people out of whatever oppresses them. And if that's the position of God, we can trust it and we can align with it in our moment. And so one thing I must caution us about as we go through what we are going is let us not give in to cynicism. Cynicism is the idea that it's all hopeless. We are all done for. Yeah, we are all done for. There's nothing good that is going to come out of this situation that we're going through. The plans that have been laid forward, you have no idea. If we are all doomed, that is cynicism. Neither do not be caught up in quick, cheap hope. Yeah, there are two things I want to point out. Number one, it's naive to ignore that all is not well. All is not well. But then it's also naive to ignore the idea that God is present and God is working. So we, as a people of God, how are we being called? We are called to look rea at reality and see it for the way it is. And we are also called to stand on the reality yeah, that God is at work, healing and redeeming. We may not see it, but we want to hold on to that. So I'm going to call on you. Rather than giving in to cynicism, Embrace a different kind of hope, a robust hope. Speak about it. Speak it forth. Trust that it can happen. Trust that there's a possibility of God acting in a way that is bigger than us to write a new story. You know, in the world of storytelling, they say every good story that inspires and thrills you has in it the idea of beauty and life a new creation emerging out of the chaos of a moment. Yeah, a cosmos, an order always emerges out of the chaos and out of the formless void. Could it be, could it be that this moment of so much chaos, yeah, God is at work doing what he specializes in doing, creating a newness that nobody could have imagined. Yeah, you know, they say the resurrection life is always bursting forth out of the dead places. Could it be that God is at work in that? And here's why cynicism is so wrong. It blinds you to that possibility. And here's why hope and trust are so good for this moment. Could it be that God is at work? 
and it points you to a posture of looking, of participating, of trusting, of knowing that it can be healed and redeemed. Amen? I don't do that often, but that you need to remember. Yeah. And as I conclude, I must also say, you know, I know we have discussed the realm of Kenya, the realm of society. This is also, uh, this also pertains to your personal space, to your personal space. You may have been bearing certain burdens for a long time that it feels like it's 400 years. You may have been facing certain struggles again and again that you do not know how to get out of them by your own strength. You may be facing overwhelming challenges that seem to crush you again and again. But it is the same to you as it can be the same, it can be said of a collective people. The, your cry out of that struggle, your cry for help reaches God. He hears your cry. He looks upon you as you are and takes notice. And isn't that amazing? Yeah? He has looked and he has seen how much you have struggled. He knows, knows at a personal level your struggle. And he has come down to redeem, to act, to heal. It also pertains to you at a personal level. And so today, as we finish and as we leave this place and as you step into your own life and into the society that we are a part of, I hope you step there with a different posture, a posture of trusting, a posture of knowing that there is all the noise, right? And notice the noise always comes in waves. This week I was part of a forum called the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, we were praying for the country. And I had the privilege of being invited as a pastor. So I went, I just sat, and uh, it's a good one because it's prayer breakfast. You eat and you pray, yeah? Uh, I just happened to sit next to someone who was saying, uh, I used to live here, then I left in 2009, and I went away. Then I came back in 2019. And do you know what I noticed? I noticed that Life in Kenya, on, 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 on in the general, had improved. Yeah, he, he looked around and was like, by the way, in my own assessment, life, the quality of life has improved. 2009 to when? To 2019. But he also noticed Kenyans have become worse complainers, right? And even us guys, as we sat there, what do you mean life has improved? <laughs> you know, is, are you talking about the Kenya we're a part of? Yeah, and so step back into life with a hopefulness and not cheap optimism and not cynicism, but a hopefulness that God could be at work, that God can specialize in bringing order, new creation, beauty out of the chaos. And we can trust that and we can align ourselves to that. Step into your own life with a new hope. This is the struggle I'm facing. I am not alone. I am not abandoned. In fact, the way God is described, he is almost there with me. And I can trust that. And I can journey through that. Amen?